Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Jeff Trost, who's a fourth-year resident at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. He's originally from Frankfurt, Illinois. He completed college at the University of Illinois and medical school at Baylor. His academic interests include hand and peripheral nerve surgery. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon. So I'd love to get started by hearing kind of a big picture overview of the structure of the training at your program. Yeah, so Baylor is a six-year program. After the first three years, it's purely plastic surgery, and we do get a lot of plastic surgery experience during the first three years as well. The other kind of rotations we do include orthopedics, ENT, melanoma, and breast, and those are kind of built to be related to plastic surgery, otherwise just building general skills for your later years in the plastic surgery program. We don't have any dedicated research time, but research is expected throughout the program, and we do expect usually between one and two papers per year. I'll say that there's plenty of opportunities for research. We have so many faculty, so many different hospitals, that no matter what you want to get involved in, it's very easy to. Can you break down the plastics experience in those first three years? Yeah, our intern year, we have four dedicated plastic surgery months. We get a little taste of the different hospitals we work at. We do a month at Texas Children's Hospital, a month at the VA, a month at our county hospital, and a month at our general plastic surgery hospital, St. Luke's. Our second year, we actually do only two months of plastics. We get some more experience at the St. Luke's hospital and again at the Bentob, our county hospital as well. We do hand surgery for a month at that time. And the rest of second year is really kind of preparing you a little bit more general surgery, ICU experience. Uh, we do a rotation down in Galveston for burns, a transplant, and we get kind of a, a wide variety of things that we otherwise wouldn't get at other times in the residency. And then the third year? During third year, four of the months we spend at MD Anderson. It is, is somewhat related to plastic surgery. We do two months of melanoma and two months of breast surgery at MD Anderson. It's one of the biggest cancer centers in the world. So even though we're on those rotations with the melanoma surgeon and the breast surgeons, we actually work very closely with the reconstruction surgeons as well. So we'll do things like help with melanoma resections, and then we'll stay with the plastic surgery team afterwards to, to help reconstruct with local flaps, et cetera. It's kind of our first time where we get to meet all of those faculty there. It sets you up for when we return as a fifth year for purely reconstructive surgery. And what's the experience like when you're on some of those more gen-surge, non-plastic services? The experience is great overall. We build a really strong relationship with our general surgery program. Especially during our second year, we do a month where we're holding the trauma pager and we're kind of the lead role in, in triaging all of the trauma patients at our county hospital. We do ICU both as an intern and as a second year resident. And during that time, again, you're just kind of building relationships, learning the faculty, the other residents that you're working with. And it comes in handy down the road when you're back at those hospitals for plastic surgery. And you've already mentioned a few of the different sites, including the VA, MD Anderson, County Hospital. Can you just kind of go through all those to make sure I don't miss any? It's very diverse. So the main hospitals that we cover in the medical center and that we take call at 
include the VA hospital, Texas Children's, St. Luke's, which is where we get kind of our bread and butter plastic surgery, the Methodist Hospital, which is a good mix of reconstruction and cosmetic, Ben Taub, which is our county hospital where the residents are running the show, and we do smaller rotations at, at a lot of other places as well. I mentioned we do do a month in Galveston at the, the UTMB hospital to do burns. That's as a second year. We also spend two months up in Dallas. As a chief resident, we do a cosmetic rotation with Dr. Rorick. So it's quite a diverse group of hospitals. MD Anderson, we go as a third and fifth year, like I mentioned. When we're rotating there, we take call, but they're not part of our normal call rotation. It'd be great if you could go through what call is like and how the responsibilities change over the years. Call is very busy. The first couple years of residency were backups. And usually that means four or five times a month when you're on a plastic surgery rotation, you are the backup call for whatever upper level is on call that night. And they'll let you know if there's something interesting to come and see, something to learn. They'll have them join you at the different hospitals. Starting your third year, you are taking primary call. And that lasts through the third, fourth, and fifth years. By the time you're a chief resident in your sixth year, you're a backup for the lower-level residents who are on call. But call can be very busy. Again, we cover all those hospitals that I mentioned at the same time. You're on call based on what rotation you're covering, and that dictates what day of the week you're, you're covering call. So, for example, right now, on the fourth-year rotation at Methodist Hospital, and that means I take call every Tuesday. So every Tuesday night is my responsibility. And if it's a more difficult call where we're covering hand or face, then I usually have a backup resident with me, an intern or a second year to help me manage all those hospitals. We take hand every other day. We split it with orthopedic surgery. And we take face every third day, split with ENT and OMFS. And the exception is Texas Children's. We're actually covering all three at Texas Children's at one time. So it can get pretty busy there. The good news about Texas Children's is that we have a lot of mid-level support there. So we are not the first line of contact at Texas Children's. Calls actually go through a PA hospitalist first, and they will see the patient, triage them, and if they need assistance, they'll, they'll call us then at that point. It's a graduated level of responsibility. So during third year, there's a lot of direct communication with the fellows, the attendings, while you're on call overnight. And kind of as you progress through fourth and fifth year, you're given more responsibility. You can make some decisions on your own. You're still expected to keep in close contact with the chief and the hand fellow, especially if there's something surgical that comes in. But again, with more experience, you're able to handle more things at a time and, and kind of control the situation better. When you're on your call night, you are covering multiple different sites. So you may end up going back and forth between different sites in one night. Exactly. And it's totally doable. All of the hospitals, they know that about our program. They know we work really hard. They know that we're responsible for multiple hospitals at a time. So they're very good at being able to keep things controlled while we're moving between hospitals. Having a chief that's always a backup as well, it's a big help. But you're never overwhelmed. You always have someone that's available to help you. I see this as a benefit, but although you're very busy, it's still only once a week. So you don't feel like you're terribly overwhelmed with call at a given time. And do you get a bit of a break the next day? I know you may not get like the full day off, but how do you usually manage then Wednesday? Yeah, we don't get any post-call days, but it's very understanding. So the day of the week is also built around when you have time to recover. So for example, the hand resident takes call every Saturday, and that means that they're able to recover on Sundays. And the, the Ben Taub Plastics resident takes call every Wednesday, 
and they have Thursday as sort of like an administrative day where they plan all their cases, they're communicating with patients and things. So we do have some leeway built into our schedule on purpose to help manage that. And you started to talk about some of the mid-level support. So it sounds like there's maybe the most at Texas Children's. And then how else do you get support at the other sites? I mentioned the surgical hospitalists that help us in the ER at Texas Children's. We also have a lot that cover the individual attendings at that hospital as well. And they're kind of the, the front line to help with cases. But that also gives the residents a lot of leeway in choosing what cases they want to cover. It's very open and depending on whatever you want to get involved with, whether it's pediatric hand, craniofacial, there's plenty of opportunities and you get to pick and choose which ones you want to do there. We do have a PA that helps us in clinic at our VA hospital. She's been there for a very long time and is very helpful in clinic. And we're working on getting another PA or nurse practitioner to help us at Ben Taub, our county hospital as well. And she would kind of handle the day-to-day interactions with surgical oncology, orthopedic surgery at those teams, as well as help us in clinic. And I think you mentioned a hand fellow, so I'd love to hear about the different fellows that you may work with at the different sites. At Texas Children's, we have one craniofacial fellow, and they are a huge resource for us. The good news is that we have so many attendings and we're so busy at that hospital that we never really overlap with the craniofacial fellow unless it's a case that we really want to see. So free flaps, big cranial vault remodeling, that kind of thing. Then we may double scrub the fellow just because it's something we're interested in seeing. Another huge benefit of having them is they usually help us split rounding on the weekends. So they'll either split one weekend where one person covers Saturday and then the other person covers Sunday, or we just alternate weekends with the fellow. And then Baylor also has an orthopedic-based hand fellowship, and there's four fellows at a given time. Our orthopedics program is also huge at Baylor, and the fellows split their time between plastics and orthopedics. When you're on the hand rotation as a fourth year at the county hospital, Ben Taub, you are the only resident on that rotation, and it's a resident-run hospital. So the fellow in that scenario acts as your attending, and they'll come, they'll join you for one of the clinic days of the week, and then they'll join you for the cases. And they're also kind of your first line of communication for difficult consults and other things that you see in clinic. So it's, it's very useful to have them around. They don't take away anything from the experience. They're there to kind of act as the attending at the county hospital. They're also very involved with our VA experience. And other than that, they spend the majority of their time with the orthopedic surgery program. They're there mostly as just a big resource for us. Are there any opportunities in the later years to like choose your own electives? There is an elective rotation that we do during our third year. But I will say that the majority of that rotation we spend as kind of a float person covering the different hospitals. Like if someone's on vacation, we spend a a month of that block at Texas Children's helping out there as well. When no one's on vacation and we have more available time, then that rotation is built as elective time. So for example, when I was on my elective rotation, I spent a lot of time with our hand fellowship director, Dr. Netcher, just trying to see different hand surgeries. And it gives you an opportunity to connect with people that you may never work with at other points in residency. So for example, I also worked with a facial plastic surgeon at Texas Children's. I also worked with a hair transplant surgeon in private practice. So little things that you may not see uh, otherwise. I would say in all, you probably get around two to three weeks total of true elective, you choose your day kind of experience. Other than that, the elective rotation is, is mostly just covering other people. On top of that, I will say I mentioned how at Texas Children's, the variety 
is so great that we kind of get to choose what we want to do while we're there. The same is true for other hospitals like Houston Methodist, where I am right now. There's a ton of attendings. Someone's doing a facelift one day while someone else is doing a vaginal reconstruction and someone else is doing a free flap. And you do get leeway in which cases you want to see that day too. So there's a lot of opportunities to see a lot of different things. I'll mention also about the Houston Methodist rotation. They do have residents of their own there. They have independent residents, two per year for three years, and we interact with them directly. So there's a plethora of attendings there, and we never really overlap with the independent residents, unless, again, it's something that I want to see. So if attending is doing a deep plane facelift, for example, I'll ask the Methodist resident if he minds if if we both just kind of watch that case, for example, because it's something you may not see again. Are there any opportunities for global rotations? So that could be like a few weeks or shorter trip experiences. That's something that they're currently working on. In the past, it's been more common. We've had residents go to Russia, Taiwan, South America, but it's been probably a a handful or so years since the last resident went. And I think a lot of that is because we're getting so busy. It's very hard. Currently, if you want to go on a medical mission, visit another country, it actually has to be built into your vacation time. And they're working currently on other opportunities to do so. So you mentioned that, you know, at some of the hospitals, you can just sometimes see a cosmetic case. And then I think also you have some dedicated cosmetic rotations. So I guess, could you just clarify, you know, when you get those cosmetic experiences and what the experience is like? So the cosmetic experiences, we get some at St. Luke's Hospital. We get some at Houston Methodist. And those will just depend on what the attendings have planned for that week. It's not per se a dedicated cosmetic service. So for example, I'll be working with the the chair there, Dr. Friedman. We'll do a facelift one day and then the next day we'll do an abdominoplasty. The following day is all breast reconstruction. So he's not purely a cosmetic surgeon, but he does a lot of cosmetic surgery. Our dedicated cosmetic rotation is during our chief year. So during our chief year, we do four months of cosmetics. Two of those months we spend in our own chief clinic. We do things like injectables. We schedule our own patients for the end of the rotation when we operate on them. And we usually get anywhere between six to 10, sometimes even up to 20 of our own cosmetic cases during that final month of of cosmetics. And usually at the beginning of that four-month block or in the middle two months, that's when we go up to Dallas and spend two months with Dr. Rohr. And we work directly alongside his fellows for those two months, seeing tons of rhinos, whatever he has planned for the day. He also has privileges down in Houston as well. So if there's a specific case that we want him to cover on that cosmetic rotation down in Houston, he'll actually come and travel and and scrub in with us and and, uh, staff those cases for us as well. And do you get any experience with gender affirmation surgery? We do, and that's mostly at Houston Methodist Hospital right now. We have a couple surgeons that specialize in gender affirmation. Mostly it's top surgery, but there is kind of a growing bottom surgery experience at that hospital. At St. Luke's Hospital, I wouldn't call it gender affirmation, but we do get some genital reconstruction. So, for example, we, we did a phalloplasty last month for some vaginal reconstruction as well. So we get that experience there. But for gender affirmation, it's mostly at Houston Methodist. And there's a good bit. And how would you say your program manages resident operative autonomy? It's a graduated experience. So by the time you're a fourth year, that's when you're at Bentov Hospital and you're the only resident on hand, for example. 
You were also on the Bentob Plastics service during your fourth year for four months. And both of those are true resident experiences. So for example, on plastics, you'll scrub in with the chief and that's it. And on hand, you'll be with the fellow and that's it. The attendings are there to kind of help you make some of the more important decisions to help make sure everything's going well in the operating room, but they'll let you do all the cases. If you show that you're responsible and you can make good patient care decisions, then they let you do it. You have a lot of autonomy on call as well. So for example, a couple months ago now, I had a patient come in with a five-digit revask that I took overnight. I called in the fellow for help, and then the attending came in while we were under the microscope just to make sure that we were doing well and if we had any questions. So it's a graduated experience, but that's what is expected out of us. We're expected to be able to operate by ourselves and uh, increase that autonomy by the time you're a fifth year and a chief. You mentioned the research experience at the very beginning of our discussion. There's a lot of opportunities and expectations, I think you said, are like about one to two papers a year. And I'd love to hear a little bit more. Is that both basic and clinical? And also what kind of support, either financial or resources like statisticians, things like that, are available to help you? So we have a lot of research volume coming out of Texas Children's, and it's mostly all clinical. We don't have many opportunities for basic science, and I think if that is something that you're interested in, it would require a little bit of extra work to get in contact with someone at Rice University, for example, or other programs that have that greater experience. There's a lot of clinical research to be done at the different hospitals. At Texas Children's, we have a research coordinator who helps us keep track of publications, helps us submit things. She works directly with the statistics department as well. So we do have all of that available. We have multiple databases that we're able to pull patient information from and that kind of thing. At St. Luke's and Ben Taub, we don't have dedicated faculty towards research, but we have a lot of staff that are constantly working on, on trying to publish case series, other types of clinical research as well. And it's easy to do. All of our hospitals have Epic too, so it's really easy to pull patient information off if you're trying to get a bigger paper published. At Texas Children's, we also have research fellows. So we either usually have one or two at a time. I think right now we currently have two working with us at Texas Children's, and they're kind of the first contact. If you're trying to get involved with a new project, if you just need help, even just submitting a paper, those kinds of things, and they're there to, to assist you with that. And then how about once you're ready to present your research? So we're encouraged to go to multiple meetings a year, and we have some meetings that are built into the different years of residency. So for example, during your third year, all the third years are expected to go to ASRM. Uh, all the fourth years are expected to go to the Texas Society meeting. And by the time you're a fifth year, sixth year, then you're going to Dallas Rhino, you're going to ASPS, other bigger meetings as well. Those trips are funded by the program. If you are within that year where you're supposed to go to those programs, or if you get a podium presentation. So if you get a podium presentation to those meetings, you can apply for funding, and it's not an issue to get funding for those. If you are giving a poster presentation instead of a podium presentation, then you have to do a little bit extra work, but it is possible. So poster presentations aren't directly paid for by the program, but you can still apply for funding from the college, from Baylor College of Medicine. And then you have to work in your schedule a little bit harder to make sure someone's covering the hospital that you're currently at for those poster presentations. And if you get a podium presentation at like a different conference outside of those ones designated per year, are you able to get funding for that as well? Yep, it's pretty easy. 
The only caveat is finding coverage at the different hospital you're at. So if you're supposed to be at Texas Children's and you have to have the elective rotator cover you for that couple days or you have to find someone else to cover you. And they leave that up to us. They give us a lot of leeway in who's going to be covering the different hospitals. As long as someone is there, someone's doing a good job and being responsible for the patients, then it's not an issue. And are there any particularly awesome perks about your program you'd like to share? Well, one big perk is loops. So we get loops paid for our, our intern year. We get fitted within the first couple of months, and then usually by the middle of intern year, we have our loops available. Food will depend on the different hospital you're at. So I haven't been to Texas Children's in a while, but they used to give us like $60 or something per month on our ID badge to use in the cafeteria. The other hospitals, St. Luke's and Houston Methodist, usually serve a hot lunch that the residents are able to get every day. And then at Ben Tobb, we get a ton of meal tickets. No one's ever hurting for food at, at Ben Tobb because of the amount of meal tickets that we get to spend. Usually we have a, a lot left over at the end of the month to just get a bunch of Gatorades and other things, stock up the, the team room there. So in terms of labs, there's a lot of opportunities to join labs. We're a little bit limited right now because of COVID, but right before COVID, we started to revamp our dissection labs. So our program director, Dr. Marisevich, has kind of taken that upon herself to kind of get us a lot more opportunities in a wet lab. Houston Methodist has a dedicated lab they call the Mighty Lab. We're able to kind of use it as long as we get our own cadavers and, and things like that. The Hand Fellows also do labs every couple months. And we're, if you're interested in Hand, it's an open invitation to you as well. So last weekend, for example, we had a big lab just on arthroplasty alone. So we had some cadavers and we practiced doing small joint arthroplasties with the fellows. I would say there's every one or two months we'll have some sort of lab that you can get involved in. We also have a micro lab of our own. So we have a room in one of the Texas Children's Buildings where we have four microscopes set up. And as long as you bring your own chicken thighs, for example, those microscopes, the sutures, the instruments are always there available for you. And I went a couple times last month with some junior residents just to practice micro there and get that training before you're expected to do it by yourself at Bentob, for example. Our rat lab is new. I personally don't have any experience with the rat lab yet, but one of my co-fourth years, Luke Rome, he's actually finished all the training and been able to take care of the rats and provide anesthesia for them and things like that too. So that's something that's kind of up and coming and should be completely set up and ready to go within the next six months to a year. So that's something where if residents have the training and they procure rats, they could just go and practice live rat anastomoses when they have free time? Yeah, there's a, a little bit of training involved, like you mentioned, and then the rats are always available to us. We just have to give them a heads up. Usually it's a couple days to a week notice saying, hey, I want to come to the lab next Friday. Can you have two rats available for us? And then we'll have that set up for us. And what area of plastic surgery would you say residents have the strongest experience in upon graduation? I would say probably breast reconstruction and hand are two strongest. We take a lot of hand call, especially being Q2 at, at so many different hospitals, including a county hospital, a trauma center. You are ready to see and handle a lot of different hand problems by the time you finish. And then at all the different hospitals, St. Luke's, Houston Methodist, MD Anderson, even Ben Tobb, we get a lot of breast reconstruction. And that's anything from implants to free flaps in a large variety of free flaps, not just deep flaps. We had a presentation the other day on lumbar perforator flaps and other things like that that we see at MD Anderson. So you get kind of a, a huge variety in breast reconstruction as well. 
And how would you improve your program? That's a hard one. I think because we're so busy, there's not a lot of time for elective experience, like I mentioned. So although we get to see a lot of variety while we're on certain rotations, it would be nice to have more time to kind of tailor what what you want to see yourself. For example, I also really enjoy facial plastics and, and Mohs reconstruction. And we do get a little bit of that on the rotation. And I got to work with one of the facial plastic surgeons at Texas Children's for two days. But it'd be nice to be able to do a more dedicated week or two weeks with, with someone like that. So now to transition, I'd love to hear about your program leadership. So if you could tell me a bit about your chief and your PD. Our chief is Dr. Larry Ollier, and he is the chair of surgery at Texas Children's Hospital. So he's been here for quite a while now. He's kind of built this program up within the last 10 years or so. And I'll say in the last, while he's been here, the program has been very stable. There's been very little turnover. And it's been a really good thing for us is being able to kind of set a more strong foundation. And it's kind of allowed us to build the number of faculty as well. Our program director, Dr. Renata Marisevich, she took over that job about a year ago now. And she's a huge resident advocate. She wants to make sure that we're all doing just as well outside of work as inside of work. So we've started to restructure our weekend rounding to make sure that residents get four days off a month, no matter where you're at, that kind of thing. And she's also starting to develop more support for things like residents trying to to build a family. So for example, although in the past, our program is, is historically single, although they're in serious relationships, for example, they don't have children yet. And I think that's something that's starting to change within our program. We have a lot of younger residents who are just recently married. They're planning on having kids in the later years of residency. And we're working currently to make sure that they have the support during that. And I think that Dr. Marisvich is doing a good job of finding little areas of our program that may be lacking and addressing those right now. So we're working on that currently. Our assistant program director is Dr. Sebastian Winokur, and he works at our St. Luke's Hospital uh, for the most part. And he's the same way, just a huge resident advocate, wants to make sure that everyone's getting involved with research as much as they want to. And he's constantly in, in discussions with us to make sure that we're getting the experience that we want. Could you tell me about a time where either you or another resident brought up an issue to the leadership and how they responded? We're always very strongly encouraged to bring up issues as they arise. For example, I mentioned that we're able to go to a lot of meetings as long as we're able to find coverage. And you can imagine if with so many different hospitals to cover and a lot of people wanting to go to to meetings, it's, it's impossible to make everyone happy. So for example, last year, I was supposed to go to the ASRM meeting, and we had a little bit of difficulty making sure that all the chief residents who wanted to present, all the fifth years, everyone was able to make it. So we were able to move things around, and although I couldn't go to ASRM last year, they're helping me go to ASRM as soon as we're able to to reopen from COVID again. I was supposed to go this last year, but of course, it ended up being a, a remote meeting too. So I wouldn't say there's a lot of huge issues that come up. I think it's it's mostly very small issues that are very collegially negotiated and doesn't turn into any big problems, that's for sure. How did the leadership kind of manage, you know, the resident experience during COVID, like the early months of the pandemic? All of our meetings now are virtual. We have a lot of conferences every day of the week, actually. And those are usually start around 6.30 in the morning, go to 7.30 in the morning. And those have all turned into Zoom meetings or WebEx 
depending on what hospital you're at. And the major difference I would say is how often they're communicating with, with us and making sure that we're doing all right, we're getting the case numbers that we need, that kind of thing. The amount of communication between the faculty and the residents has increased a lot since the start of our COVID experience. And what kind of a role do residents play in department decision-making? So things like picking residents or new faculty. When we were picking a new program coordinator, for example, Dr. Reese, who is the chair of our adult plastic side, he actually had some of the residents, including myself, sit in on the, the interviews. And I got to be part of the interview for our, our program coordinator. For residency interviews, our fifth years are actively involved every year. So the fifth year class will interview all the applicants and then they'll sit on the ranking meeting and they have a huge voice in actually the final rank list that we create. All the other residents also have a, a voice in ranking as well. And we spend our entire day with the interview applicants, but the fifth years are kind of the class that's responsible for the interviews themselves and, and making those final decisions. How does your program promote diversity and inclusion or help you develop into a culturally competent resident? I think just by nature of where we work every day, we become a very culturally competent program. We spend a ton of time at Ben Taub Hospital, which is, I believe it's like 60% Hispanic, 30% African-American, and 10% Vietnamese or something like that. It's just a, a huge cultural experience. Learning Spanish before you come to Baylor is a huge plus. If you don't, there's tons of people that can help you and translators. But just the nature of where we work, everyone we see on call, especially at Bentop Hospital, comes from some sort of underserved background, and you get that experience frequently. It's constantly part of our education. Can you describe the culture or vibe amongst the residents? I would say that that's probably the strongest point of Baylor, is that everyone is really close friends. Everyone is very, what I would consider normal. There's someone that you can work really hard with during the day, and then you can go out and watch March Madness basketball at a bar with afterwards. I even still live with one of my co-fourth years, Jordan Kaplan. We've been living together since intern year. It's very collegial. Everyone likes each other. There's really no, no outliers, and we're just very in inclusive overall. What would be some qualities of a resident who would fit well in the program, besides normal? Someone that's normal, right, but also works very hard. That's one thing as well, that's probably another reason why we like each other and we work well together is because we all know how hard each other is working. But you still have that positive attitude, that energy afterwards to be able to, to spend time with one another. So I would say someone who's very hardworking, but understands the importance of doing things outside of work as well. And does your program have any experience with international medical graduates or other like non-traditional residents? Yes, we do. So one of our current interns and one of our current fifth years are actually both international grads. As I mentioned, every year we have one or two research fellows, and that's kind of how international grads usually get plugged into our program. And again, every once in a while, we take one of those international grads, as long as they seem like a really strong, dependable applicant. And they're doing great. They assimilate right into our program. There's no steps missed. And I think because we've had such good experience with that in the past, it's something that we're going to continue to be open to. Now some info about the logistics of how residents live. So do most own or rent? It's very well split down the middle. Houston is a very affordable city. 
if you want to buy, if you think there's a chance you may stay longer in Houston afterwards, then, then that sounds like a good idea. And I'd say about half of the residents own a home. The other half, including myself, rent. And rent is just very cheap. It's very easy here. It's very affordable to live even close to the downtown or the medical center too. So I would say regardless of, of your preference on renting or owning, it's, it's very easy to do. Where do residents live in relation to where your hospitals are? Where you live sometimes depends on what year you are in residency too. As I've gotten more involved in primary call, I've actually started to move closer back to the medical center. But Houston's a very easy to get around city. So even if you live 10 miles away, it's still only 10 minutes to get to the medical center. And there's a lot of different neighborhoods. Like any other big city, we don't call it just Houston. We call it Midtown. We call it Montrose, the Heights. And those are all different neighborhoods within Houston. It really just depends what kind of environment you're looking for. So if you if you have a family and you want a little bit of a quieter area, the Houston Heights would be somewhere ideal for you. My priorities are being close to the hospitals for call and being surrounded by things like restaurants and grocery stores that are easily accessible. So I live in the museum district, which is just one neighborhood down from the medical center. Each one has plenty of opportunities to kind of rent by um, all the above. And I know you mentioned a little bit about kind of the breakdown of residents being single or married. So I guess just to clarify what that breakdown is and how else the program specifically has supported residents with kids. So we haven't had a a resident have a child during residency for, I think the last one was three years ago. And she was a chief resident at the time. And I think because she was in chief year, it was a lot easier for the other chiefs to help out and cover the different hospitals and that kind of thing at the time. That's something that we're going to be, I think, dealing with in the next couple of years. So it will be interesting to see what kind of changes are made for that, because I, some of our current third years, second years are in the process. Recently married, they're getting tons of support if they do want to have a family during residency. But I'll say our overall experience with what exact kinds of support are given to those residents is we don't have that experience recently in our program. But it sounds like it's a priority and you're looking ahead to the future to prepare for it. Yeah, it gets brought up. We, we have a lot of feedback sessions and it gets brought up at each one just to make sure that we're making progress. And it's just something that's, that's very important to our program right now that hasn't been at the, the front of the, the light in the past. So uh, it's something we're working on. And is it necessary to have a car? I would say for sure. There is a rail system that runs like a train system that runs through the medical center, but it doesn't quite run as early as it needs to in order for us to get to work on time. And you're going to want a car too, just because Houston's a very spread out city. You can Uber and things like that too, but I think having a car available to you to get to the different places around Houston is is essential. What else do you like about living in Houston? I don't know if people really understand how diverse Houston is as a city. It is constantly ranked as the number one diverse city in America. And that's anything from fun experiences like the museums to the food. It's a a very big food scene. On the same block in the city, you can go to a Tex-Mex place. And right next door, there's a South African restaurant. Right next door, there's Indian food. So it's a very, very diverse city. And if that's something that you're looking for, it'd be a perfect place for you. And what do you like to do in your free time? We spend a lot of time together with the other residents 
sometimes hanging out at bars, doing some outdoorsy things like walking around the various nature trails, the parks, and that kind of thing. Houston is always also doing a lot of building. They're revamping some of their nature trails. They just put in a new Everglades park with a big pond and things like that. A lot of fun to just walk around. A lot of us have dogs, so we'll go to the dog park together. We'll take them with us on the trails. And then, for example, even last night, I went out with my co-residents. A small group of us were celebrating a birthday out at a bar as well. So there's a lot of opportunities to, to hang out with one another. Houston is a very big sports city. So if you like basketball, if you like baseball, Houston Astros tickets are a lot of fun. They're very cheap too, so it's a good opportunity to go out. And there's just a lot of opportunities to kind of spend time outdoors. The weather is great too, so that, that helps as well. Well, that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about today. So any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of choosing a residency? I think it's just important to find that fit. And I know everyone says that same thing. But if you're talking to residents, if you're actively trying to learn about the program and you just you get that feeling that this is somewhere you feel comfortable at, this is somewhere that you want to learn more about, then, then you should. And all the residents at Baylor are very accessible to So find us, reach out to us. If you have any questions, we like to respond and and get people involved. So I think just stay involved, work hard, and I think Baylor can be a really good program for everyone. And do you have any single best piece of advice either for someone on an away rotation or during an interview? I would say just remember to smile. We're there to learn more about you as much as you're there to learn more about us. And we want to be able to just have a positive experience with you. That's what we're looking for. And someone that comes in with positive energy, smiling, and seems like they're interested in getting to know us is the person that's going to stand out. And how should interested applicants find out more? Any social media? We do. We have an Instagram page that's pretty active. It's BCMPRS. Any of our attendings, like I mentioned, Dr. Marisevich, our program director, Dr. Winokur, our assistant program director. They're very good at responding to emails. I get a lot of emails forwarded from Dr. Winokur, from other students and things like that, interested in learning more about Baylor. So we're there. There's a lot of people that are, are willing to listen and willing to help. Well, thanks very much for speaking with me today, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service, and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.